0: Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message. And I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, it, it is officially the holiday season, right, which for many of you, that means your stress level has instantly gone up. You're thinking about all the different time demands that you're about to face of the extra events that are going to on this time of the year, all the family gatherings you're going to go to, extra work events, extra church events, and maybe that stresses you out a little bit. Some of you are stressed because of the financial demands. Like this is kind of an expensive time of the year. Maybe you're thinking about all the stuff you have to buy, all the food you have to purchase to prepare. Maybe you're wondering, like, how in the world are we going to be able to afford Christmas? We're barely getting by as it is month after month. For some of us, stress because of the relational demands. We're thinking about all the people that are going to come over to our house over the next couple of months. you are thinking about the houses you're going to have to go to, the weird uncle you're going to have to see and spend time with. Some of you are like, oh goodness, my in-laws are coming over. And so your stress level has just gone through the roof. The one thing that we know based on research is that over the last several years, there are more and more people who are struggling with stress and anxiety than ever before. In fact, I read a really heartbreaking Statistic that said Generation Z, which is those who were born from 1997 onward, which is all of our teenagers, college students, and young adults, they're the most stressed out generation of all time. We weren't created to live with stress and anxiety. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was a Wednesday night, we were driving to church. And as we were driving along, Haley said, you're stressed. She said to me, you're stressed. What are you, why are you so stressed out? I didn't think that I was really acting that stressful. Maybe I was a little more irritable than normal. I'm not really sure. I wasn't losing my cool or anything like that. But there was something noticeably different about me. And I, I remember saying, yes, I am stressed and I don't know why. It's not that there were all these demands that I was dealing with. It's not that I was getting ready to teach and I wasn't pre- I don't know why I was stressed. I couldn't really explain it, but she was right. I was feeling stress. And that's the interesting thing about stress is that it not only affects you like you feel it, but the people around you feel it too. They can pick up on that, whether it's through your body language or through certain vibes that you're kind of giving off. And the thing about stress is that it, affi- it begins to affect our patience levels. It begins to cause us to maybe act out in anger a little bit more. It robs us of our joy. It's really hard to find happiness when you're overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. And it's definitely something that God did not create us to live with. Now, the Bible makes a really bold claim. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about our stress. And I don't want that to stress you out that you're like, four weeks about stress, that's making me a little anxious right now. I promise there's a reason. It's because the Bible makes a really bold claim. Here's the claim that the Bible makes. You can be anxious for nothing. Now some of you read that and you're like, no, don't buy that one bit. You don't know the things that I have going on in my life. Whoever wrote that in the Bible has no idea what's going on in my life. Well, let me just tell you who wrote it and what was going on. It's written by a man named Paul, and Paul is sitting in prison, and he was imprisoned because of something that he did that was good. He was falsely accused and he was thrown in prison for teaching about Jesus. I'm going to that none of us in this room have been falsely imprisoned for teaching about Jesus. So whatever you're dealing with, I know it's major. And I'm not saying that what he dealt with was more major than what you're dealing with. I'm just saying he's writing from a place of experience. That what he says is not one of those things that you just spout off and put on a coffee cup and you live and drink from it because you never really have to deal with it. He's writing from a place of high stress and anxiety. Or could be a place of high stress and anxiety, yet he has learned something that I believe we can learn from as well so that we can internalize and truly live out what the Bible claims, that we can be anxious for nothing. Now, what I want to do today is I want to look at the life of another individual in the Bible who reached his breaking point. Have you ever done that? you ever kind of reached your limit like you, you maybe even said, That's it, I've had enough. If you're a parent in the room, I'm going to assume you've had that moment. If not, then just keep it to yourself because the rest of us have. Whereas a parent, you said, That's it, I've had enough. For me, it was usually in the car and we're riding along and the kids are bickering or whatever. And I said, That's it, I've had enough. I don't want to hear another noise. Maybe you've had that moment before, and my kids are perfect little angels, and they just they said, Dad, you're right, we know we've pushed you to the wall, and we're not going to do anything else that might tip you over the edge. No, you know, that's not right. It's about 60 seconds of silence, and then whatever was happening before happened after that, and then, you know, I don't know if you did, but you jerked the car over, you're like, everybody's getting a whipping, and the rest of us that are driving by are like, I know exactly what's about to happen here, you just pray for everybody involved. I know you didn't spank your children, because I know, I know, okay, it's okay. You've had your moments, right? Maybe you were at work. And it was maybe a, a boss or a coworker that you were dealing with. or was just increased demands laid on you without increasing financial pay. And you're like, that's it. I'm not taking this anymore. And maybe that day you decided to find a different job or you walked out. Maybe it was a relationship. And just push and push and push. You said, I can't do this. For all of us, we have a limit. We have A wall. We have a moment where we say, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. If you've ever been there, you're in good company. There's a guy in the Bible named Elijah. He's a major prophet of God. And he had a breaking point where he literally said, I've had enough. Now let's back up for a minute. We're talking about a prophet of God. We're talking about a person who was endowed with the miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a person who received prophetic prophetic visions from God to deliver to the people. We're talking about a person who spoke on behalf of God to the people. Sometimes we can read through the Bible and we can think, oh man, those people had it all figured out. They didn't struggle with anything. They had like superpowers where they just never had any doubts and never had any moments where they struggled. But what I hope you'll see this morning is that if you've had your breaking point, you're in good company with a guy named Elijah. And what's really or excuse me, Elijah, what's really fascinating about Elijah is his breaking point came after one of the greatest moments in his life because isn't that how life goes? It's like a roller coaster. Every time you go up, you're going to go down. So in 1 Kings chapter 17 when we meet Elijah, when we pick the story up there, he predicts a multi-year drought. You're going to have a famine. There's going to be no water, there's going to be no rainfall. All the plants are going to If we don't have plants, we don't have food, Uh, animals are going to die because they don't have water to drink. It is going to get really tough for a period of time. And the reason why was because Israel was being disobedient to God. They were pursuing idolatry, they were getting caught up in all kinds of pagan worship, and this was part of their punishment. And so uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18, after Elijah predicts this drought, he decides to go and confront a guy by the name of King Ahab. Ahab was the king over Israel, he was not a good dude in the Story of the Bible, a very wicked king. And he goes to King Ahab and he tells him about how God is not pleased with Ahab's decision that has taken Israel into idolatry. And so he calls for a showdown, and he and 850 prophets head to the top of Mount Carmel. There's 450 prophets of Baal, there's 400 prophets of Asherah, and there's one prophet of Yahweh. One versus 850 prophets. It's going to be a showdown to find out who's God is going to actually show up. And so what Elisha does is he says, let's build an altar, and whosoever God will respond with fire, then we'll know that that is the one true living God. They build this altar, and it's the prophets of Baal who go first. And they're crying out, Baal, answer us, answer us. Some time passes by, nothing, it's just crickets. Elijah said, maybe Baal has gone on a trip, maybe Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's using the restroom. I'm not making that up. That's really in the Bible. And so they start to get more frantic. They start crying out, wailing. They're cutting themselves. Blood is gushing everywhere and nothing happens. Finally, Elijah says, that's it. That's enough. They move out of the way. He repairs the altar that they had messed up. And he calls for his servants to go get water. Now remember, they're in a drought they're experiencing a famine. This might be some of the last water that they have. It's a valuable commodity. He says, go get water. And He has his servants pour it over the altar. He says, do it again. And they pour it again. He says, do it again. They pour it again. They soak this altar with water. Remember, whichever God responds by fire. You ever tried to light a bonfire with wet wood? It's not a good combo. He also digs a trench around the altar and he has them fill that up with water. And then he prays. He says, God, please hear our prayer. Fire comes out of heaven and it consumes the altar. Imagine standing there. That would have been awesome to see. Fire comes out of heaven and consumes the altar. It dries up all the water. It even soaks up and dries up all the water that was in the trench. I mean, it had to have been one of the most amazing things you would have ever seen in your entire life. And then Elijah calls for his servants to gather up these 450 prophets of Baal, these 400 prophets of Asherah, and he says, put them to death. And then he tells King Ahab, you better get on your horse and ride back to your palace because there's a cloud coming and it's about to rain. And sure enough, it did. An amazing moment. That's how 1 Kings chapter 18 ends. A mountaintop victory on the very top of Mount Carmel. But then 1 Kings 19 opens and it's a different story. There's this woman named Jezebel. She's married to King Ahab. She's not a good woman. Ladies, if you've ever been called Jezebel, that's not a compliment. That's a really, really bad thing to be called, okay? And so Jezebel threatens the life of Elijah, says she's going to have him hunted down and kill him. And Elijah's afraid. So I want to pick up his story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3. He was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And he travels a whole other day's journey into the wilderness. He comes to this broom bush. That is really hard to say. I've been working on that all morning. You say that five times without saying broom brush. It's broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might not die. Look what he says. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's at rock bottom. This is right after he was on the top of the mountain. And now he's at one of the lowest points in his life. So he goes into a cave to speak. And the word of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets down to death by the sword and I am the only one left. I'm the only one who's trying to do right. I'm the only one who's trying to serve you and they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear the depths of his desperation? Can you hear his anxiety just screaming out of him? He is stressed beyond measure and he doesn't know what to do. His life is completely out of control and he's hit the moment where he says, I can't take it anymore, I've had enough. You know, he's really a lot like us Because when we've had enough, there's a couple things that we do. One of the things that we do is we just run ourselves into the ground. It's like we double down when life gets out of control and there's these situations, circumstances that I can't control anymore. I can't manipulate them. I can't change them at all. So what do I do? I just focus on something else and I try to control it and I double down my efforts. And that's why sometimes when we get stressed, we find ourselves working more because maybe it's stress in this other area of our life and I can't control it and I can't change it. So the one thing I can Control is my job, and so I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to put in more hours. And when, when everybody asks, why are you working so much? I can't communicate that because fully I don't even know why. It's just one of the things that we do. Or you shut people out. Maybe that's your response. When you get stressed and anxious, you just kind of keep people at arm's length. You don't let them in. You kind of shut down. And when they say, what's wrong? You say, nothing, I'm fine. Obviously, something is wrong. No, nothing, I'm, I'm fine. And you won't let anybody in, you get defensive, you even get a little hostile about it, even though you know something is wrong, but you're pushing them out of your life because you don't want to deal with what's actually going on. Or maybe you focus on the negative, negative. and all of a sudden you become super critical of the people that are around you, family, coworkers, classmates, you're focusing on all the things that are going wrong. It's just complaint after complaint that rolls off your tongue. Or maybe you forget God. It's not just that prayer is a last resort, it's not even resorted to. Don't even think about God because you don't even know if God actually cares. These are all the same responses that Elijah had that you and I deal with when our stress and anxiety gets to a breakable point. Well, let's continue his story. God said, Go and stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is one of the most fascinating texts in all the Bible to me. Listen to this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. This tornado comes ripping through (laughs) right in front of Elijah. I don't know if he's a storm chaser or not, but he comes ripping through and God wasn't in the tornado. Then this earthquake shows up and everything starts shaking, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was this great fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after that fire came this gentle whisper. It's a really fascinating story. In Elijah's life, it had gotten really loud. And that's what happens when stress and anxiety fills your heart. Your life gets really loud. There's all these thoughts that are rolling through your mind. You can't shut it down. It's why you have a problem falling asleep at night. It's why you have a problem focusing at work. It's why all of a sudden you kind of get lost staring off into the distance and there's people around you and they're going, Dad, Mom, hey, are you listening to me? And you're like, oh no, I'm sorry, I was not listening at all. What were you doing? Oh, nothing. You respond nothing, but really you were lost in your thoughts focusing on whatever it is that was stressing you out and your life's gotten really loud and there's People trying to get your attention and God's trying to get your attention, but you can't hear anything because all you can do is pay attention to the noise because life gets really loud when stress and anxiety are reigning and ruling over our life. What I find so fascinating about Elijah's story is that when his life got really loud, God was not trying to shout above the noise. You would have thought that. A tornado comes rolling through. God, are you trying to get my attention? No. Just natural disaster. Earthquake comes shaking everything up. God, was that you? No, that wasn't me. How about that great fire that lit everything up? No, not that. Because what Elijah did not need was for God to show up in a great and powerful way. Two reasons. One, God had already done right? God had already shown up one chapter before, and not just one chapter, but just days before. He hasn't been in the wilderness for that long since he left Mount Carmel. God had already showed up in his life in a very powerful way, but here's reason number two. All of those things that happened before the gentle whisper were not events that invite you close. You don't go running up to a tornado, do you? I mean, I know some people do. They're called storm chasers and they're absolutely insane, right? The rest of us watch from a very, very far away distance or on TV, which is the best way to watch, right? When you see this earthquake, you don't go running into the earthquake and try to find the very center of it because it's destructive fires. Other than firemen, nobody else goes running into a fire and they don't go in to stay. They just go in to rescue and get everybody out because those events don't invite you to come close, God didn't shout above all the noise in Elijah's life with these great moments, with the fire and the earthquake and the tornado because they don't invite him close. That's not what he needed. What God did was he whispered. When life gets really loud, God starts whispering. Why did he whisper? Because whispering requires you to lean in. It requires you to pay attention to really turn your ear, just like you're doing now. I know some of you can't hear a word I'm saying right now because your hearing aids are turned down way too low. The rest of you, you're trying to listen. You're like, boy, I wish you'd speak up. Have you ever had somebody whisper to you? Man, my grandmother. I remember when I was a child, she would invite me into her lap and she would whisper in my ear, And I know she didn't just do this for me. See, they already turned me up in the back. Somebody already complained. I'm about to get loud in just a minute. You better be ready, sound guys. Just kidding. She would invite me into her lap. And I know she would do this with the other grandchildren because I've seen her do it with my own children. She'd invite me into her lap and she'd whisper into my ear, I love you very much, and don't you ever forget it. Man, it was such a such a soft, tender moment. It was a moment of closeness where her love for me was shared in such a vulnerable, tender way. When we were leaving in the car to go back home, could she have shouted, I love you, don't you ever forget it? I mean, yeah. Could she have shouted it across the house? Yeah. Could she have just looked me in the face and be like, Eric, I love you, don't you ever forget it? Yes. But by placing me in her lap as a small child, even coming up to me as an adult, coming beside me, whispering in my ear, and saying, I love you. Don't you ever forget it. That's a tender moment. You know, when our life gets really loud, And our anxiety starts to get the best of us. We can be guilty of saying, God, I wish you'd just show up and show me that you're in control. Just do something amazing like give me a bolt of lightning or a crash of thunder or just some great big moment so that I can know that you're there. But that's not what you need because none of those invite you near. What God is inviting you into is a close, intimate relationship. There was a part of Philippians 4 that Brock didn't read because I didn't ask him to read this because I wanted to, to save this line for this moment. Brock picked up in our text, which by the way, we're going to read every week for the next four weeks so that we don't ever forget it. He picked up in the text that line about being anxious for nothing. But there's a line right before where Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing that sets the stage. It gives the why for why we can be anxious for nothing. It's the why behind the how. Yeah, I'd love to be able to live with the ability to be anxious for nothing, but I need to know how is that? possible because i've tried many times in my life i don't want to be ridden with anxiety and stress i don't want to feel that way i certainly don't want my family members and my close friends to experience that and my coworkers i don't want any of you to pick up from me that my life is just in shambles or that i'm stressed and anxious and it begins to emanate outwards and i don't want to feel like i have to hide it to have to pretend either because I don't want to deal with it at all. There's a line in Philippians 4 that gives us the why for how we can live with no stress or anxiety. It's this, it's that little phrase, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. If all Paul said was rejoice always, I'll say it again, rejoice, be anxious for nothing, that'd still be great advice. This one little line reminds us so much, the Lord is near. Here's what I want you to take away this week. I want you to chew on it, write it down, take a picture of it, spend some time thinking about this week. Your perspective on your anxiety is directly connected to your understanding of God's proximity. I know, that's a really long sentence. I'm going to say it again. Your perspective on anxiety is directly connected to your understanding of God's proximity. Now, some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. I know it's a really complicated way of saying that the way that you view your anxiety is all based on where you think God is. And you're probably thinking, why didn't you just say it that way? It's because it's something that preachers do. There's the perspective and the proximity. They both start with P. It's, you know, it just sounds cool. I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's, it's a disease. I, I try not to. I want you to understand that the way that you view your anxiety is directly connected to where you think God is. If you think God is far away, just like Elijah did, then you will feel like you have to control your situation. And you'll run yourself into the ground. You'll shut other people out. You'll forget where God is. But if you remember Philippians 4, that God is near, that he invites you in when your life gets loud, and he doesn't shout above the noise, but he gives a gentle whisper, it will remind you that God is close And you'll be more confident to surrender your stress and anxieties to him. Because your understanding, your perspective on your anxiety is connected to your understanding of where God is. His proximity. Is God far away? i got to control my my life. I'm on my own. Isn't that what Elijah said? I'm the only one left. (laughs) We didn't finish reading 1 Kings 19, but one of the very next things God said was, you're not the only one left. I always have a remnant, Elijah. There are people who will always faithfully follow me. Whatever you're going through, you're not alone. One, God is near and he's with you and so are we. If you remember God is near, then you'll, you can live with more confidence that he is able and willing to handle whatever it is that is heavy on your heart. He's near us. And that is how we can live anxious for nothing. I read this story Uh, in the last couple of weeks about this young man named Jordan. And he, he started to get shortness of breath. He was dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety. He was having a hard time focusing. He couldn't sleep. He was feeling pressure in his chest. And what he didn't know is he had started to experience panic attacks. So he went to the doctor and he described to the doctor what was going on and the doctor diagnosed him with an anxiety disorder, prescribed him some medication to help. Jordan went home with the help he needed, but he felt like a failure. He was a follower of Jesus, and he felt like, how in the world can I struggle with anxiety as a follower of Jesus? He felt like he had failed. He felt like he wasn't praying enough. He felt like he wasn't praying the way that he should, that maybe his prayers were off, or maybe he was just praying for the wrong things, and so he started praying, God, take this anxiety away. Take it away from me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. One day he's reading in his Bible, and he's reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a scene in the life of the apostle Paul, and in that chapter Paul describes this thorn in the flesh, this thing that he didn't fully understand, but he gained through perspective that God had given him, and he was pleading with God, take it away. We never fully understand what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. There's different ideas, but we know Paul wanted it to be taken away. He pleaded with God, God, please take it away. And the word from the Lord came back, my grace is sufficient for you, for my grace, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Wow, what a powerful statement. And so in that moment, Jordan gained a different perspective, and here's what he wrote. He said, instead of just praying for peace, I found myself drawing closer to the Prince of Peace. When I began to worry about my future, I reminded myself that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I prayed for my anxiety to go away, but what I found was something much better, the overwhelming loving presence of Jesus in my life, even in the midst of... Of anxiety. Did you catch it? The presence of Jesus. Exactly what Paul said in Philippians 4. Before he said, be anxious for nothing, he reminded us, the Lord is near. When your life gets loud, look for the presence of Jesus in your life. He promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God may never shout above the noise, but he will whisper through his presence in your life. He will remind you through people's circumstances, events that happen, that he is near so that you can live anxious for nothing. That's our prayer for you. That's God's design for you. So this morning, if you find yourself dealing with a lot of anxiety, let me first say that I firmly believe in the power of, of the help that we have in Christian counselors. And I don't want you to diminish what you're going through and to think as a Christian, I shouldn't be dealing with this. It's not always due to a lack of faith. Sometimes life gets the best of us and we need people to help walk us through those events. And we're blessed to have counselors here who will guide you and walk with you and try to help you through that situation. We have our shepherds who would love to pray over you and to encourage you and to walk with you if that's something you're dealing with. If you want the prayers of this church, we can make that known and spend some time this morning praying over you. If you need to find a friend, a close spiritual mentor and just say, I need you to pray for me right now and this week because I've got some things going on. I just want you to respond how God is calling you if you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism because you want that phrase, the Lord is near to be true in your life because you want him to be near because he's the Lord of your life and you're ready to surrender your life to him in repentance, confession, and baptism. then we wanna celebrate that with you today and witness you becoming a child of God so that you can understand that God is always with you because he's dwelling within you through his spirit that he promises to us in our baptism, as we receive the forgiveness of our sins. It doesn't mean that all of life's anxieties go away. It just means we have a faithful father who walks with us and who invites us to surrender our anxieties to him because he's near and he promises for his peace to guard us. If that's something that you need to respond to in any way this morning, we invite you to do so as we stand and sing together.